Let's open our Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Colossian Christians. And in this uh, section, verses 1 through 14, reminds them and reminds us who they are and who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may, may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." This is the word of the Lord. It's a simple question. What is a Christian? If you were to ask that question to some people on the street, what do you suppose they would say? What is a Christian? Some might say, well, those are right-wing, hypocritical, judgmental people who go to church on Sunday. Others might say, oh, those are really kind, wonderful people who do lots of good things. And others might say, well, those are people who believe in Jesus and follow his teachings. That'd be a good answer. What is a Christian? Can you be a Christian and go to church only on Christmas and Easter? Can you be a Christian and never go to church at all? Can you be a Christian and go to church twice every Sunday but never fully surrender your life to Jesus? What is a Christian, really? I brought some things with me to illustrate this, but this is the question that we have from question and answer 32 in the Catechism. And so as we talk about this tonight, I want you to ask and answer that question for yourself self-reflection. Am I a true Christian? And then what about the people that I know and love? Are they Christians as well? So we start with my passport. This is an official U.S. document 
it declares that I am a U.S. citizen. I can take this thing anywhere around the world and flash it to the right officials, and it shows everybody I am a member of the United States. I belong in this country. This is my citizenship. So that's a very important document if you're traveling abroad, obviously. But as Christians, we're not just members of a country. We belong to Jesus. It's a spiritual thing, a spiritual community. Belonging to Jesus is different than belonging to a country. National citizenship's temporary. It might change if you were to move somewhere else. Being a member of the U.S., a U.S. citizen offers certain benefits, certainly, but it is nothing in comparison to belonging to Jesus and what benefits that offers us. So let's read together out loud what Paul writes in Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So political freedom is a blessing. Spiritual freedom is even more so. You don't have to enjoy political freedom to enjoy spiritual freedom. As Paul, writing from prison likely, these words experienced. No one can threaten it. No one can take it away. No matter where you are, you belong to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 makes it an even more radical statement. Paul says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's quite a statement. So if I belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, it makes us new people. The old us is somehow gone. There's a new us in its place, a new me that loves God with all my heart, and that's my new identity. It means I am so attached to Jesus and He is so attached to me that I participated with Him in His death and resurrection. And so did you in the spiritual sense. So when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross with Him. That's amazing. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We were crucified with Christ. We were also raised to new life with Christ. So we're so attached to Jesus that when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. A new self that puts Jesus first, that loves him and wants to love other people. That's a part of what it means to be a member of Christ. We belong to him and all of the benefits of his death and resurrection belong to us. That's, that's truly remarkable. That's what some refer to as our union with Christ. We are in Christ. That phrase is used all through the New Testament. Whenever you see it, that's what it means. I'm so attached to Jesus. He's so attached to me that everything about him becomes mine. It's a miraculous thing. But there's another component. It's important to remember that I'm not the only one who's been joined to Jesus. That's one of the flaws of growing up as a Christian in the United States. We tend to be very individualistic. We're all about individual rights and individualism, and so it's about me and Jesus. 
And that misses a lot of what the Scripture teaches about what it means to belong to Jesus because the New Testament is always about how we belong to Him in community. It's always about the group. Very rarely is it just about me. I'm a part of His body, and so are a lot of other people. We're all a part of the same body. We've all been joined to it by God, by His grace, through His Spirit. It's a miraculous, mysterious thing why I'm a part of that body and other people aren't. I can't fully explain. It's all a part of God's will and plan somehow. But we're all a part of it, and every part is necessary, even though we play different roles. So there is a lot to that little phrase, we belong to Jesus. There's a lot of freight in that. It's a very important part of what it means to be a Christian. So that's the first thing. Just as a passport reminds us we're citizens of a country, so when you belong to Jesus, you're a member of his body, which is even more important. Second characteristic of being a Christian is in verse 4, where Paul mentions their faith in Christ Jesus. So being a Christian means that we confess the name of Jesus. And to symbolize that, I have my green, growing, deeper wristband on that I'm going to wear for a while now, just to remind me of what we're about. And so if someone were to see this this week and ask me about it, what does growing deeper mean? It would give me the opportunity, and you too if you wear one of these, to say, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to grow deeper in my love and commitment to him. That's what it means for me. Now, some of us might hesitate to wear something green. doesn't match your outfit, maybe, if you're really, that's really important to you. It's like, well, I wish they made it a color I liked more. Or maybe you just don't like to identify publicly as a Christian. Some of us are just a little more bashful about that. We like to just sort of blend in with the crowd and not sort of stand out. More and more, I think we're called to stand out. It's harder and harder to blend in. But notice in our text, these Christians in Colossae didn't keep their faith a secret. Paul says in verses 3 and 4, We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Paul's writing this a long, long way from Colossae. He's probably in prison in Rome. We don't know for sure, but that's what it's thought. And he in Rome has heard about the faith of these people in Colossa. That's pretty amazing. It wasn't a secret. They'd gone public with it. It was known in the, to the people of their community and even to people who were far away. They loved and followed Jesus. And whenever you see people doing that, that's a wonderful sign that they're a Christian. They're not ashamed to be associated with Jesus. Thirdly, being a Christian not only means that we belong to Jesus and that we confess his name, but we are also committed to follow him. And that is symbolized with a simple cross. We follow. Being a Christian isn't just about what we believe, it's about what we do, how we live life. So Paul describes the lives of Christians in verse 10. 
He says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So that's the challenging part, isn't it? It's not so hard to believe the right things, but it's really hard to do the right things. That's where the rubber hits the road for us. The Catechism says we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices of thanks. That's the phrase from the Catechism. But that refers, of course, from Romans 12, Paul's words. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Sort of an oxymoron. Holy and pleasing to God. It's baseball season. Some of you may be watching the Tigers these days. There's something known as the sacrifice fly. When there's a runner on third base, the batter will sometimes choose to swing for the fence, hit it way far, way high. It's very likely it's going to be caught unless it goes over the fence, of course. But if it's caught, it gives the runner on third base the opportunity to score because it's so far back into the outfield, they can't throw it fast enough to beat the runner home. So it's sacrificing. The batter sacrifices his ability to get on base. He's going to get out because it's going to get caught, but his team will score a run. It's about sacrifice. We give up something for something even better. In baseball, we give up getting on base for our team to score. In Christianity, we give up calling the shots in our own life and allow Jesus to call the shots for us because he actually does a whole lot better job than we do. It's not just an option, it's a requirement. Jesus says in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Christians are known as people who follow Jesus, who sacrifice things in order to follow Christ. So, what have you had to say no to? What do you have to deny about yourself and the things that you might want or desire because you want to follow Jesus? You sacrifice something for something even better. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. That's the third characteristic. The fourth characteristic of Christians is that we are spiritual soldiers. The Catechism says this, we strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil. Because living the Christian life is not an easy life. And one of the reasons it isn't easy is because we have an enemy. We have opposition that doesn't want us to live like this. We have our own sinful nature to deal with that wants to sin, not follow God. We have a fallen world all around us that does not encourage us to do what is right, to be faithful to Jesus. And we have the temptation of the evil one himself. And so we find ourselves in a spiritual war. And we are constantly assaulted by certain temptations, some of which are not hard for us to resist because they don't really appeal to us. It's easy to say no. And then there are other temptations that we become pretty familiar with because Satan knows our weaknesses and he tends to 
pinpoint his attacks on our weakness. And so we end up trying to say no sometimes, often maybe even failing sometimes. It's difficult to live the Christian life. It's difficult to say no to sin. It's a battle that we're in. So Paul talks about that, of course, in Ephesians 6. Let's read his words together. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I have a picture of a U.S. Army soldier that I want to show you. Anyone here ever served in the military? A few of you. Okay. So you know what this is like. You've been through basic training. You served, so you understand this. Soldiers don't just practice shooting their guns because it's fun to have target practice. They don't just get sent to faraway places to enjoy different scenery. They don't uh, use those night vision goggles so that they can see animals in the woods at night. They use all of these things because they are training to fight a battle. It's serious business. Because at a moment's notice, they may be under attack. They need to know exactly what to do, how to do it, how to deploy, what their role is, so that together they can conquer the enemy. They have to defend themselves with certain things. They have to use special weapons to take out the enemy because fighting a war is serious business. The Bible says we are fighting a spiritual war, and it's serious business. If we're unaware of a spiritual enemy, that gives him the advantage because then he can sneak up on us. We don't even see him. Some people don't even believe the devil is real. Well, then he really has a leg up. We've got to be able to know who he is and spot the tactics he uses so that we can stand firm in our faith and fight against the temptations he sends. And the weapons that Paul says we have are primarily prayer. Prayer is a powerful spiritual tool when we understand it correctly and use it properly. And the Word of God, which has incredible authority. That's the tool Jesus used when he was tempted by Satan. So the more knowledge and training we receive, the more effective we can be when we find ourselves, as we always do, in this spiritual battle. It's just a part of daily life for us, sometimes more intense than others, but that's sort of what we face. That's who Christians are. So Eugene Peterson paraphrases Jesus' promise in Matthew 16. He says, "'This is the rock on which I will put together my church.'" A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. We're soldiers taking territory. We're taking territory that belongs to the devil. He's not going to give it up easily, but we have more authority than he does in Christ, and we keep taking more people, taking more ground. That is our mission. We're soldiers. Fifth and final characteristic of us as Christians, according to the Catechism, is that we are to exercise authority. In the Bible, authority is often represented by a crown. The one with the crown is the one in charge. 
We live in a different sort of society with a newfangled government that was invented some 200 years ago, so we don't have someone wearing a crown. But we have a president, but he shares authority with two other branches of government, so it gets complicated where we live. It didn't used to be very complicated. The one with the crown was in charge. And you had to obey whatever he said, or you could just be killed on the spot because the one with the crown can do whatever he wants. Jesus is the one with the crown. He has been given all authority, all authority in heaven, all authority on earth. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the one before whom every knee will bow one day because one day it'll be obvious to everybody Jesus is Lord. There will, be, there will not be a question about that when he comes again. But he created us to be like him. He created us to exercise authority. He's given us authority more than we often even realize we have because I belong to Jesus. I'm attached to him. He's attached to me. So wherever I go, I carry the authority of Jesus, and so do you. That's an important thing to know when you're fighting spiritual battles. He put us in charge of everything. We were created to be in charge from the very beginning. God made the world and he said, now Adam and Eve, you're in charge. You're made like I am. You make decisions. You're in charge of this place. Use your authority to manage all of this well. And they maybe did so for a while, but we all know how that turned out. Not so good. So the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So God is training us to exercise authority over a particular realm. We all have authority over a particular realm already. For some of you, the realm of your authority might be as small as your room at home. You have a bedroom. It's your room. You're responsible for that territory, what happens there. Whether you keep it clean or not, what you do in there, sort of your business. So that's your realm. You're the king or queen of that territory. Some of us have a little bigger territory. The older you get, the more authority you tend to have. So now you have a whole house. You have a whole family. You have a, a workplace. You have other people that you manage. You might own a business. And you have all of this authority that you're supposed to exercise well in the name of Jesus. Which makes me wonder, what has God put you in charge of? And how are you using the authority you have so that Jesus gets his will accomplished, not just you. Because we can take our authority and just do what we want, but that's not really what God intended it for. He wants us to do his will. So in the parable of the tenants, of the talents rather, the master tells his servants who uh, were able to do the right thing, they did a good job. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So those are words I think we all hope to hear one day. Well done. You manage the authority in the realm I've given you now. That was just training ground. Now I'm going to give you something even bigger, something that will require more of you because I'm training you to exercise authority. 
One day we're going to reign with Jesus over a whole new heaven and a whole new earth, and every one of us is going to play a role in that somehow. Well, what we've said tonight is by no means an exhaustive definition of what it means to be a Christian. We could be here all night talking about what it means to be a Christian. But what we've said are the five ways the Catechism and the Scripture describe followers of Jesus. Number one, we belong to a kingdom. Not just an earthly kingdom, we belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we confess the name of Jesus. So we have things that remind us of our identity in Christ. This is who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm committed to grow deeper in my love for him. We are spiritual soldiers, number three, called to fight a battle. Actually, I missed number three. We are committed to the cross to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of something better. So, denying self, taking up our cross, following Jesus is the rhythm of life for us. Fourthly, we're spiritual soldiers called and trained to fight a war. We're always at battle. We have to fight with the tools that God gave us to advance His kingdom. And then lastly, we are rulers. We are people given authority. We're being trained by God to exercise authority over whatever territory He gives, and one day we will reign with Him forever, the Scripture says. That's a summary of what a Christian is. It's not an easy thing to be a Christian, but there's no greater calling, there's no greater blessing than to be a lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us tonight of who we are. These are things we know, but these are things we need to be reminded of as we, again, face afresh the battle and the life that we face out in the world tomorrow and all the rest of this week. Lord, continue to remind us, continue to strengthen us, continue to help us in this battle against sin and temptation on a personal level, but also to be able to advance your kingdom, to do your will, to take new ground, to help new people see who you are, to represent you in the world. Help us to be loyal and faithful followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.